Good morning. How are you? It's good to see the kids here this morning. Can we give them a round of applause as they head to their place to be ministered to? If you're joining us online, I just want to thank you for joining us. And I was in the middle of worship today, uh, and I felt like the Lord told me that somebody got up this morning and they were intending to go to church, but saw the rain and decided not to come. And so that might be you and you're at home. And the reason I'm sharing that word is because I believe God has something for you specifically this morning. So I'm glad that you're tuning in, tune in your spirit, focus. Guys, I believe God has something for us here as well. And I'm gonna get on the horse and ride because we got a lot of ground to cover this morning. Last three weeks have been very rich here at Springhouse. Pastor Justin did a fantastic job uh, in our word series and... Um, in teaching us about the power and the value behind what we say and that we should consider the things that come out of our, come out of our mouths. And I know that Justin grew the most out of all of that. And uh, as, as do we when we're speaking. Is that true, Justin? Yes? And, uh, and uh, so, but there is, there is power in our words. There, there, there's power in the things that, that we say. And as I alluded to last week at the end of the service, we're not the only ones who have things to say. The Lord has things to say too. And so today, what I'd like to uh, attempt to do is to kind of uh, examine a portion of Scripture and talk about uh, a little bit about how to hear from God. Now, this actually could be a, a series within itself, and, uh, and probably we will go there at some point. But I felt like where the Lord was leading me uh, for today uh, really addressed Addresses a, a certain circumstance that I find that many in our body are in right now, and that is the circumstance of feeling weighted, feeling emotionally heavy. Uh, there's heaviness in our body. We've had a series of deaths that have taken place. We've had people that are going through some trials and circumstances, and so I felt like this particular word, in terms of hearing from God, was for those who might be discouraged or walking through things uh, that are particularly heavy during the season. But that doesn't mean that there's not a word here for those people who are not in that season, because because if you're human, you've been in that season before, and you'll probably be in that season again. And so there's something for everybody uh, uh, in this. And so I just pray that uh, the Lord would really uh, move and, uh, and, and speak to us. Before we get into our scripture today, I need to lay some groundwork. I need to lay some groundwork in this scripture. Or we'd be standing and reading all day long. So uh, let, me, let me lay some groundwork on this story. In, in 1 Kings, we learn about a, a man named Ahab. Now, Ahab became king of Israel, and Ahab was an evil king. He was an evil king. In fact, the Bible tells us that Ahab aroused God's anger more than any other king of Israel. Ahab was a really, really bad dude. And if you've ever heard the um, if you ever heard the term misery loves company, well, uh, uh, he, sure, he surely was uh, miserable and he surely did attract some company that aided that. So he married a girl named Jezebel. And Jezebel was a, a warrior type. Now, I, I picture Jezebel as somebody who has guns, okay? Who has guns in the room? Okay, I don't have guns, so she certainly has bigger guns than me. But I, I think that she was, she was really strong, okay? She was really mighty, uh, very confident, very headstrong and she liked to kill people. She liked to kill people. And uh, Ahab and Jezebel, their, their, their mission in life was to kill off anybody who proclaimed the true Lord, the true God as the true Lord of, of lords and king of kings, the true God. They wanted to kill off the prophets and they succeeded. They killed a lot of the prophets. They didn't kill all of them, but they killed a lot of them. And so they were out to slaughter. They were out to kill. And, uh, and this really disturbed the Lord. And so the Lord raised up a prophet named Elijah. And uh, now Elijah... 
was a prophet of God. He was one that he, he followed the Lord. He believed in the Lord. And he was a man who had extreme faith. He had really big faith in, in God. And, and, and so for such a time as this, the Lord raised up Elijah. And, uh, and Elijah uh, is told by God, I want you to go to Ahab, and I want you to tell Ahab that a severe famine is going to come upon the land. I'm going to stop the rain from coming, okay? And so Elijah gets that word, and he's going to walk in obedience to go tell Ahab this word. And so he goes and meets up with Ahab, and he says, hey, here's the deal. There's not going to be rain for for a period of time until I say it's going to rain again, says Elijah. And so they're under this, uh, this famine. They're under this, this time period where there's no rain and no famine. And Jezebel and Ahab are out trying to find Elijah and they want to kill him. Well, three years goes by and the Lord comes to Elijah and he says, Elijah, it is time to let it rain again. I want you to go to Ahab and I want you to tell him it's going to rain. And so Elijah says, yes, sir. And he starts to head out toward uh, finding Ahab, and he runs into a man named Obadiah. Now, Obadiah was a lead administrator of King Ahab, but Obadiah was also an undercover believer. He was an undercover believer. The Bible says in their interchange that Obadiah sees Elijah and he bows down because he recognizes the prophet, the man of God. And so he recognizes him, he bows down to him and he has this interchange. And in this interchange, Obadiah says, I have saved a hundred of God's prophets, the true God, God's prophets. And I have hidden them in caves and I have been a a source of, of food and water to sustain them in these caves. So Obadiah is working on the side to save those who are ministering before the Lord. And so Elijah says to Obadiah, I need you to go to find, go find King Ahab and tell him that I am here to address him and I need to meet up with him. And Obadiah says, but my master, my, 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 my Lord, listen, if, if you send me out to this king and, 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 and tell me to tell him that you're going to show up and you don't show up, he's going to kill me. Because Jezebel and Ahab have been after looking for Elijah. And Elijah says to Obadiah, you have nothing to worry about. I'm going to show up. And so time passes and Ahab and Elijah finally meet up and Elijah says, let's settle this matter for good. You have, 400 and pro- you have 450 prophets of Baal and you have 450 prophets of, to, to Asherah. Let's get all of those prophets together. Let's call out the community of Israel. Let's settle the matter once and for all, who is the real, true, living God. And so everybody gathers at Mount, Mount Carmel and they're all there and Elijah comes up with this plan and he says, okay, this is what we need to do. Let's create an altar and we're going to take a bull. We, you take a bull and I'll take a bull. Now, I don't, find it any, uh, I don't find it coincidental that a bull is the symbol for Baal, okay? And so they say, he says, I want you to take this bull and I want you to put it on the altar. Now, sidebar, some of us need to take our bull and put it on the altar. Yes? Okay. So he says, take this bull and I want you to put it on the altar and and I want you to cry out to your gods, okay? Cry out to your gods, and I'm gonna do the same. And whoever, whichever God causes this altar to catch on fire, that is the real living true God. And so they agree. And so the prophets of Baal, they get together, they chop up the bull, they put it on the altar, and then they start to cry out to the gods. Come down, set fire. They begin to dance. They begin to wail. The Bible says they begin to mutilate themselves and cut themselves to the point of blood. Do you know that when you're following something that is not real, it will cause you to do some crazy things? Yeah. 
And so they were cutting themselves and they're doing wild, crazy things. And it went from morning to noon. And I just think Elijah was just getting tired of hearing this because he knew there was no life in it. And so he starts to taunt them. Maybe your God is asleep. Maybe your God is on vacation. Maybe, they, maybe he went to Destin this week, okay? Maybe, maybe he's out having a smoothie or a coffee or a latte. Where is your God? Your God is not answering this. And so after some time had passed, Elijah takes over and he goes over to the altar and he takes 12 stones and he puts it around the altar to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he does something extraordinary. He digs this trench around the altar and he tells the people to bring jugs of water and and pour it onto the altar. How many know it's hard to light something on fire that's wet? And so he says, pour this water on this altar. Do it again and do it again. Three times they drench this altar space. And so then it picks up in the story in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 18, he says this. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Eliza stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate before the Lord and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And Elijah proceeds to slaughter the prophets of Baal. And so, after that happens, after, after he slaughters uh, the prophets of Baal and all of Israel is looking and seeing the real God has caused this bull to go on fire, it is now time for God to allow it to rain again. And so Elijah goes up the mountain and he puts his head between his legs. And I just believe that he's just praying and believing God that he's going to start the rain. And seven times he sends his servant out to see if there's a cloud in the sky. You have to, you have to imagine three years with no rain, three years with no rain. And he's saying it's going to rain. And so he puts his head behind his knees, sends it seven times. On the seventh time, there is this small cloud. It says about the size of a human hand is appearing. And the servant comes back and that gives Elijah just enough faith to get up and say, Ahab, you better get down this mountain before the rain beats you. And all of a sudden, these clouds start rolling in and the rain starts coming down. And sure enough, just as God said he would do, he makes it rain. Do you know that when God says he's gonna do something, he will always come through. When God tells you he's going to do something, he will do it. And I like how this ends. And it's very interesting uh, starting point to what we're about to read. But at the very end of chapter 18, we see this say, the power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. And that's where we're going to pick up and read from today. Would you stand with me? And we're going to read from 1 Kings chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, 
sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind." After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And one more verse from the book of Psalms. He says, be still and know that I am God. Father, I pray that your word today would penetrate bone and marrow, that it would totally touch our hearts, Lord, that it would be a source of encouragement, that we would be able to cling to your word, God, and trust it and stand on it and know that it's true. Would you change us for eternity today as your word goes forth in Jesus' name, amen. God is so faithful and his word is faithful and it's true and you can trust his word. When I was six years old, my family uh, attended a Catholic church. We were Catholic, practicing Catholics. And, um, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know much about Catholicism at six years old, but it was time for me to go through my first confessional. So as a kid, you went through your first confessional. And as going through your first confessional, what would happen is the, the, the young child would go into the parsonage of the priest and the priest would sit there on the couch. And I sat next to him on the couch Totally would not get away with that these days. But, um, but I sat next to him on the couch. We were all alone. And he said, Kevin, I want you to tell me everything that you've done wrong in your life. Okay. Well, 
I stole a cookie once from the cupboard. I think my mom told me not to get a cookie, and, and, uh, and I took a cookie. And he said, good, good, tell me more. Well, I, you know, I, there was a time when my brother was in a cart, and I flipped it upside down, and he broke his arm. Uh, good, good, that's good. Tell me, tell me more, tell me more. Well, I, I, I think one time I pushed my friend at school. Yes, yes, good, tell me more. He was so encouraging to me that I began to make up sin out of nowhere. If I was going to be a sinner, I was going to be the best sinner there was. So much so that I went on and on in my six-year-old childlike mind, and eventually he stopped and he said, you know, I think that's enough sin for God to forgive today. And so, and so I confessed these sins to, the, to this priest, and this priest apparently went to God uh, to ask God to forgive me for my sin. And that's what the, that's what the Catholic Church uh, b- believes. And one of my takeaways in life from that experience is, to, is the understanding that we don't have to go through anyone else because Jesus is the great high priest. He's the great high priest. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter four, we do not have a high priest that is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every single way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You know that because of Jesus, you have access to the throne room of God. You can approach him with confidence so that you can find mercy and grace that he would be able to help you in your time of need. A few years later, my, my parents would divorce and I would begin to go to an independent fundamental Baptist church on a church bus uh, here local in the, in the surrounding area. And there I would learn about Jesus and I would learn that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And we talked a lot about sin at that church. We talked a whole lot about sin. And if we didn't talk about sin, we talked about what your sin did to you and it sends you to hell. So we talked about sin and we talked about hell. And we talked about sin and we talked about hell. And we talked about if you did not get saved, you would not make it into heaven. And there are a bunch of people out there that are going to hell. And I I remember a particular sermon one time when I was a kid where the guy had fire and candles down here and he asked us to come down and put our hand as close to the fire as we could. And he said, now that's what's gonna happen to you if you don't get saved, you know? There was just an emphasis on hell and on sin and getting people saved. But one of the things that I took from that church was my understanding and knowledge of the word. We memorized scripture. We learned the word. We learned the word of God. And that was so poignant and very pivotal in my life, in my, in my upbringing because of this. The word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword and it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow that judge the thoughts of the attitude and the heart. Now, today we're gonna be talking a little bit about hearing from God. And I have to tell you, if you're looking to hear from God, this is the place that you start. Everything has a foundation from the word when it comes to the kingdom. This is God's word and it is true. And if you are trying to delineate between what is God and what is not God, and you don't have a relationship from, with the word, then you are going to be confused. Your relationship with the word of God is essential to hear from God because you don't want to be confused. This is why many people in the charismatic movement will claim to have gotten a word from God, will chase after that thing, and it won't have anything to do with God because there's not an understanding and a grounding in the word. God will never contradict his word. God will never contradict his word. He will never tell you something that is in contradiction of the word. He will never ask you to do anything that contradicts his word. 
So if you're in a place and you say, man, I have never really heard from the Lord. I don't think I've heard from the Lord. I'm trying to search and find a way to hear from the Lord. You need to start right here. You need to start with the word of God. What does it mean that the word of God is active? What does it mean that it's active? It means that it is alive. It means that you can read the same verse 32 times and get, and the Lord speak to you 32 different ways in that same verse of scripture. So it's very, very, very important that we understand that the first place to start in hearing from God is his word. Well, then I I joined um, Smyrna Assembly and here I was introduced to the Holy Spirit. And being introduced to the Holy Spirit was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Because being introduced to the Holy Spirit, the Lord taught me that God was not this distant God in heaven, but that he wanted to have a relationship with me. I can tell you there is nothing more precious in your life than your relationship with God. There is nothing more satisfying in your life than your relationship to and with, and with God. And I'll tell you, I do not know how to have a relationship with someone unless there's some type of communication. Can you imagine if you're married here, never talking to your spouse? What kind of marriage is that? Communication is essential to relationship. Communication is a key ingredient to relationship. So I learned about this God and this God wasn't just distant, holding hell over my eyes. This was a God who cared about me. Cast all your cares on him for he cares about you. Cast all your cares. And I believe that today that there are people here who are walking in anxiety, who have got lots of cares on their mind, who have been walking through some things, that have emotional things that they're going through. And some of you are just worn out. And God's saying today, his word for you is cast all your cares on me because I care about you. Cast all your cares on me because I care about you. Now, lazy Christians don't really have time for God's word. Lazy Christians don't have time for God's word. And most lazy Christians are some of the hardest workers in the world's economy, especially economically and socially. In other words, we know far more about the enemy and his kingdom than we know about the God and the kingdom that we belong to. We spend so much more time learning about the kingdom that's going to be destroyed than the kingdom that's going to last forever. Let me put it in another way. We are so much more intrigued with things that are going to die than things that are going to live. The enemy's most important assignment to believers is to distract us from hearing from God. His most important assignment on this earth is to distract you from hearing from God. We want to claim as believers that God is not speaking, that he's not near to our situation. I'm fuzzy, I'm confused. I don't know which way to go, right or left. I don't understand. And we wanna claim that he's not talking to us, but it's not that he's not talking to us. God is always speaking to us. It's just that we're not listening. It's that we're distracted. Sherry and I were laying in bed the other night and she told me a five minute story and I was on my phone flipping through something. And every now and then I would go, "Uh uh-huh. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And at the end of that story, she said, Kevin, what did I just tell you? And I said, I don't know. But here's the scary thing. The scary thing is that I didn't even realize that I wasn't listening until she asked me the question. I believe that the enemy can so fool us and pull the wool over our eyes that God is speaking to us and we think we're hearing and we're going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh to God, but we're not listening to one thing that he's actually saying. The enemy is so clever. 
but he can't outwit our God. He cannot outdo our God. God is so much bigger than the enemy on this earth. Greater is he who is in you than he is who is in the world. Amen? And so when I'm laying there with Sherry and I'm distracted, what it says to Sherry is that whatever I'm being distracted by holds a place of higher value than she does. Whatever you're being distracted by holds a higher value than God does in your life. Do you know that God will tell you to even lay down good things so that you can claim and cling to a good God? Do you understand that? Sometimes good things are not God things in the moment that you're claiming them as good things. What you value, you will invest in. What you value, you will pay attention to. What you value will become your priority. And we need to put some investment and some attention to God's word so that we can hear clearly what he's saying to us in this world. I wonder if the reason that we don't hear from God is because we're too distracted to hear his voice. So I'm speaking to a very specific circumstance today. Many of us are either there now or we've been there in the past or we're gonna be there in the future. Elijah has just witnessed a powerful move of God. In fact, he's not just witnessed it. God chose to use him as an instrument in his miraculous move amongst people. Elijah was a part of the miracle. So I think it's safe to say that Elijah was a believer. It's safe to assume that Elijah was a believer. And many of us in this room have seen God move in one way or the other. And it's not that the reality of God is in question so much as that we need a word from God to keep going. Let me tell you something, friends. You need a word from God. You need a word from God to sustain your life. You need a word from God to stand on so that you can can continue to have the courage and the strength to move forward. If you're not standing on the word of God, what are you standing on? You need a word. You need a word. My question is, what is the word God's given you? Do you know the word God's given you? Elijah is simply spent. He is worn out. And so Jezebel says, I'm coming after you, buddy. I'm coming to kill you. And the Bible says that Elijah was afraid. He says Elijah was afraid and he ran from, he ran for his life. And he went to a broom bush and he lies under and he prays this prayer. And he says, God, I want you to take my life. I've had enough. I just want to die. Now I'm gonna tell you, when you are in a spent season, when you are in a weak moment, you will pray prayers that make absolutely no sense. If Elijah truly wanted to die, Jezebel would have been happy to do it. Jezebel was ready. So that wasn't really something that he wanted, but boy, we will just say whatever in the moment because we are spent and we're not, we're irrational. We're not making any sense. And he is running for his life and he's saying, God, enough is enough. Just take my life. I am done with this. I am spent. And he lay down and he fell asleep. I wonder why, I wonder why it is that whenever we get into a weak moment, we look at our situation and our first prayer is to kill whatever it is. God, I'm so upset, I can't say, enough in this marriage, would you just kill this marriage? 
I'm sick of this job, God, would you just kill this job? I'm sick of this situation, God, would you just kill this situation? God, I'm sick of this medical thing, would you just kill it? And we ask God to remove us and kill the situation, remove it when God has every intention to bring life to it down the road. Sometimes God wants you to go through these valleys because he has something for you on the other side. God can and will move mountains, but he's not gonna move mountains that he intends to stay there. He wants to empower you, equip you to walk through them. In those places where you are right now, if you're in a place of discouragement, if you're in a place of, 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 uh, of emotional stress, if you're in a place where things are just so hard, I'm telling you, you need to hold on and be still and know that God is God. Be still and know that he is God. He's not going to kill that thing, Elijah. I find it funny that Elijah is praying for God to kill him, but God had a plan for Elijah to live, but not just to live, Elijah's one of the two people that never taste death. Our God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ever imagine. When we are praying something that doesn't make any sense, he will turn it over to, to his good and his glory and do something miraculous with it. Elijah has no idea this is coming because he is so spent. And so God supplies an angel to come and give him bread and water. And I love what he does here. The first thing that God does here is he takes care of Elijah's physical needs. Now, God could have done this in a lot of ways. God could have just filled his belly like that. God could have laid some bread and some, and some water just right beside him, but he chose to use an angel. I love how God pays, do you know God pays attention to the details? Not only is there bread and water, but it's over and it's baking. I'm talking about like hot bread that way through there. He's like, oh yeah, give me those carbs, right? I mean, just the bread is just fresh and it's there. And he chooses to use somebody else. Elijah didn't have to make the bread. He didn't have to do it. He just had to receive it. Let me tell you something. God will speak to you through other people in your life. The people who God has placed in your life are not there by happenstance. Have you ever had a friend in your life that is tried and true, that has been there since the beginning, who knows you inside and out, knows your flaws, knows your weaknesses, knows your strengths, knows all of these things, and then you happen upon an opportunity, a situation, or a relationship, and you decide to go in that direction, and this friend says, that's not a good idea. You shouldn't do that. But something has lured you away and you say to your friend, goodbye, and you take the advantage of the opportunity, the situation, or the relationship only to find out down the road that your friend was right. We, this happens to us all the time. We do this with, with, with people and I'll tell you, it's amazing to me, people will be at a church for so long and make a life-altering decision and the pastor's the last person to find out about it. And they found out about it through the grapevine. If you're gonna make a life-altering decision, God has placed people around you to help you hear from God in those moments. Why would you step out by yourself? Why would we, we it's just crazy. I will listen to Dr. Phil, but I will not listen to this person that's been walking with me for 10 years. That makes no sense. We must be careful not to mistake our opinions and our ideas for God's words. We must be careful not to mistake our opinions and our ideas for God's word. Some of us will have an opinion and idea and we will say, this is the only way that God can move in this situation. This is the only voice that he can put to it. And though he's speaking very loud and clear, we don't hear anything he's saying because we've decided this is the only outcome that I want. We have to be careful. 
we want to see something die that's supposed to have life. God put death to this relationship, job, marriage, commitment, take away all of this stuff. And God has a word and a plan for what's going on, but you're not in a place to hear it. Elijah was not in a place to hear the word of the Lord. And so the Lord had to take care of his physical needs. Pastor Justin talked about being hangry, remember? Okay, your physical needs, your emotional needs, all of these things are a part of how you will receive things from the Lord and what you do with them. So God takes care of his physical, his physical needs. And so he does this not just once, but he does this twice. And I love the detail that God puts here in this, in this passage that he cares about. Do you know that your season of rest and being still is more than an hour? The season of pulling away and refreshing is more than just a moment in time where you can rush off to the other thing. It takes time. In fact, he didn't even reach the mountain of God until 40 days after this, uh, after, uh, this touch point with the angel. It took time and God is leading him somewhere. And it, the Bible says that he's leading him to the mountain of God. I know that he was literally going to the mountain of God, but I believe he was figuratively going there as well to the mountain of God. So God sustained Elijah and God will sustain you and he will draw you to the mountain that he placed there. And in that process of being still, you will start to shed all of the things that are not supposed to be there until you come face to face with the only mountain God has placed in your life. Now the mountain that God has placed in your life, you better bet you God is there as well. He is there as well. He does not expect you to climb your mountains alone. He wants to be with you. But sometimes isolation and pulling away is important so that you can hear from Lord, the Lord more clearly. And so the Lord appears to Elijah. And I bet you what Elijah wanted to hear was, oh, my poor baby, you have done such a good job, Elijah. I am so proud of you. Let me just love on you. But God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And just like all of us, Elijah goes right into a rant and starts to complain, right? And I love it because this is how it starts. God, look what I have done. Look, I've been so zealous for you. Look what I have done. Can you believe these people are after me? They are looking to kill me and destroy me. Look what I've done, God. Can you believe that I am the only prophet left? which we know is not true because he talked to Obadiah who hid a hundred prophets in the cave. Do you remember that? So when we're in our rant and in our complaint, we don't even speak truths. We create a reality for ourselves and we try to take that reality we've created and present it to God and God spits it back at us. And so he's complaining and he's, and he's giving this to God and God says to him, Come out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Interestingly enough, we don't see next, and Elijah moved immediately to the, to the mountain. He was still having his pity party. He just was strengthened in doing it. Now it was just louder because he had some bread and water, right? And so he's in the cave, and all of a sudden, a great and powerful wind tears the mountain and shatters the rocks before the Lord. Let me tell you something. This wind and this earthquake and this fire, let me tell you something. That fear that he had running for Jezebel paled in comparison to what he experienced in that cave. I guarantee it. 
And he's in there when all of this life circumstance is happening, when the earthquakes are happening and the wind is happening and the fire is happening, you should be desperately trying to find God's voice. God is not in that earthquake. He's not in that storm. He's not all that. You are listening for the gentle whisper. And Elijah is in that cave and he's having to experience all of these things on the mountain of God experiencing all these things until he hears this gentle whisper. And it is the gentle whisper that he responds to. It's the gentle whisper. Oh, that we would be a people that would respond not to the earthquake, not to the wind, not to the fire, but to the gentle whisper of God. And I believe that when he responded to that gentle whisper, that's when things began to change for Elijah. And the Bible tells us that he took his cloak and he covered his face. Let me tell you, I kind of think that, I mean, this is just me. This is what I feel like the Lord told me about this scripture. When he first gave his complaint to God, I think he walked out and was like, God, what's up? And just approached God like that. But this second time, this second time, he takes his cloak and he covers his face. And with a posture of humility, he goes in obedience to the mouth of the cave. And this time, though Elijah says the exact same thing, I think the heart posture was completely different because in the second time, he was able to receive direction from the Lord. God is not going, you are not going to be able to hear clearly what you need to hear about your situation if all you're giving God is a bad heart posture and a bunch of complaints. But when you experience some things and you hear the voice of the Lord and you come with humility and you begin to walk humbly before God, now Elijah was saying, God, here's where I am. I have been zealous for you. All the prophets are gone and they are killing me. And I believe it was in the posture of what would you have me do now? As opposed to look at me, take care of me. Wipe my tears because I'm whining. It was a posture of what would you have me do next? And guess what God says? Go back the way you came. See, we expect God to come in and just, just solve the problem. Just, it just disappears. But no, God tells Elijah, go back the way you came. And I'm telling you, for some of you who have been in a place where you've just been dying and asking God, take me out of here, kill this situation. I believe God is saying, no, I want to strengthen you and I wanna give you what you need to go back the way you came. Because there's some things that you need to learn. There's some things that you need to grow in. And there are some miraculous things on the other side that I want to do that you have no, I know the end of the story, says the Lord. I know the end of the story, says the Lord. Go back the other way. Worship team, you can come on out here. Back in 1996, 97, there was a, there was a teenage boy who started attending what was Smyrna Assembly, which is the former name of our church. There was a teenage boy, and this teenage boy, um, he, was, uh, he, was, he was a good-looking teenage boy, uh, but he, uh, he, and he was talented, uh, but he had a lot of insecurities. And uh, he was dealing with these insecurities. And, and when he came here, uh, the people, the community that surrounded him was speaking into his life and helped him to realize that he could have a relationship with God. And because the Lord was tapping on his shoulder and trying to expose things in him that he needed to change and to give him the identity that he wanted to give him, instead, this young man ran. This man ran to every type of yes that he could get from a person. 
his identity was wrapped in and a a bunch of other people. His identity was wrapped up in, in joining tons of organizations and clubs. And he just got busy and busy and busy and busy. And he got to the point where he just couldn't take it anymore. Enough was enough. And so this young man decided that he's going to take his life. So he got in his car, drove up old Nashville Highway here, and at that time they were building a CVS beside Smyrna Assembly. And his plan was to get in a car and to drive this car right into the wall of CVS. So he gets in his car, tears welled up in his eyes, and he just slams on the gas and he starts taking off. Everything going through his head, emotionally crazy, irrational, all of these things. And he drives as fast as he can. And when he gets right up close to CVS where he's going to take his life, he heard God say in an audible voice, I'm not through with you yet. And because of the word of the Lord, he slammed on his brakes and he didn't end his life that day. His car ended up right here on the property of the church. You know, the word of the Lord will save you. And wouldn't you know that 25 years later, that that teenage boy would become lead pastor of Springhouse Church. That young boy, God, what God, what, what was ashy situation, God made beautiful. God has exceedingly abundantly more for you than you can ever imagine. And if you're in that place where you're crying out to him and you're saying, God, I just want you to take me away from this. I'm so emotionally drained. I've just had enough. You know what? God is so gracious and compassionate that he will meet you right there and he will supply your name and he will sustain you and he will take you right to the mountain where he is and he will face to face with you and he will interact with you and he will equip you and he'll say, let's strip these things away that don't belong and let's do something that is of me because you don't have enough strength to do it yourself. And he will pull you up and he will use you to do mighty things in the name of the Lord. You need a word, church. You need a word to stand on. And if you can stand on the word, then you have the strength that you need when your enemies come. When you're surrounded, you'll say, oh, I might be surrounded, but I know who's surrounding me. It's the Lord God Almighty. You need a word. And to hear from God is to lay your foundation in the word of God, the word of truth to stop the complaints. To abandon these false ideas, this, this, these lies that the, the enemy has, has placed on you. And to be still and know that he is God. Would you stand with me this morning? And those who are going to minister, would you come forward? There's no need to worry. There's no need to worry because we're, we are called to cast all of our fear and anxiety on the Lord. And so today, as a matter of healing, as a matter of a touch point, some of you need to agree with someone that you've been in a place that's unhealthy, that you've been in a place where you're needing a word from God. And these people down here would agree with you. And dare I say that some of these people might have a word for you. So you come and be ministered to here this morning because God is moving and he is alive and he wants to speak to you. Let's worship.